Hey there, and welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, I'm doing something that I have not done before, which is recording live and in person with my guests. So uh, me being the audio hack that I am, uh, I'm trying just not, not to botch the sound quality here. And I'm here with Ben Ladner of Sports Illustrated. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. It's happy to be here. I'm glad you uh, were willing to have me on. I'm, I'm honored to be the first in-person guest. I, I didn't know that about, about this appearance. Yeah, I'm trying to think how many episodes. We're like 120 or something, so. Wow. Probably. I'm in pretty rare company. <laughs> Exclusive company, some, some would say. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, for all of you that don't know, you know, Ben is the hidden gem on the Hawks beat this season because he's new, and, and, and I'm not sure everybody's caught on yet. Uh, what have you been working on lately, Ben? Uh, well, first of all, the the new part of that is definitely right. I don't know about the rest of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, kind of just your basic game day stuff. You know, I, I just had this morning, had something go up on just kind of where this team is maturity-wise and how and I think last night, Lloyd Pierce talked about this too, last night was just sort of an example of how it takes time to learn how to win in the NBA, and that's sort of a almost a tired trope at this point in some ways because you always hear people say that, and it sounds like an excuse, but I think... You really do see it when teams get out to 10-point leads, you know, 12-point leads like the Hawks did last night, um, and they're just not able to put it away. You know, it's it's playing that every player, every coach you've talked to in the last couple of days has said it. You got to play the full 48 minutes, um, and as cliche as that is, like it's it's really coming to kind of bite the Hawks in the. In the can I curse on this on this podcast? Can I? <laughs> I think mildly. Okay, it's it's biting them in the ass right now, um, because like they're they started off poorly for however many games in a row and then they start they fix that but then they can't close games now and so uh you really are seeing the importance of just being able to play a full game of competent basketball and that's kind of what they're struggling with right now that sounds sounds right and uh our timing is fortuitous if you could say that in that my idea for this particular episode of the podcast was to just probe some trouble spots and We've got a seven-game losing streak to process. So we we have lots of trouble spots to yes. to process. Uh, one that I would say that Lloyd Pierce has been getting harangued about for the last couple of days in, in our media sessions is is the defensive rebounding, and you know to be fair, it has not been good. Uh, I would say the timing of some of the defensive rebounding lapses have coincided with the not playing the full 48 minutes. I mean, some of the times when the leads have evaporated have been those where they just collapse on the defensive glass. Um, But just sort of, you know, taking stock of the entire roster, which centers they play, the return of John Collins, you know, what's what's sort of the full season prognosis uh, of what you'd expect from this team from a rebounding perspective? Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't know that there. I don't know there'll be thirty the entire thirtieth in the league in defensive rebound rate the entire year. But I, I don't know that this is going to be a great rebounding team even at full strength. You know, because Collins, I think, has had. He's he's looked the part of a good rebounder at times, especially his rookie year. He was really good on the glass last year. You know, was a little a little more hit or miss. Uh, I thought he he actually looked okay at the start of this season, but they're going to need him to really step in and rebound um, to to really patch over what's what's going wrong for them right now. So I guess if you, if you want to say they're going to play him at the four with a traditional center, that could really help them just having more positional rebounding. Um, but I think especially when they play Collins at the five, which I expect them to, and that's that's kind of the, the thing that we've been waiting to see that we just haven't been able to. Um, but in those lineups, like rebounding will still be a struggle, I think, just because like can you rely on, on him to anchor you 
on the glass. Maybe, maybe, maybe eventually he gets there. But I think right now this is not a, a team that's necess- that necessarily has a ton of just great individual rebounders. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you when you kind of go season by season on Collins, you know, I think last season, you know, he missed the start of the season, or at least he missed a lot of the games early in the season with the with the ankle injury. And I think, you know, as the season wore on, he got to be a better and better rebounder just as he got healthier. But at the same time, it kind of feels like, and, and some of this goes by position too, like he can be a great rebounder when his matchup is favorable. Yeah. But when he goes up against the elite rebounders and he's in that one-on-one battle, you know, sometimes he just loses that battle because he can't high point the ball because he's just not that big. Right. I mean, we, we, I think in the official height measurements, he lost an inch this year. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, so yeah, I think he's 6'9". Right. And he doesn't have, you know, he's, he doesn't have Pascal Siakam's wingspan. So he really relies on uh, his athletic gifts. Um, but, you know, when matched against similar players who are just a little bit longer than him, he, he struggles to, to get those rebounds. So, like you say, positionally, when he goes at the power forward spot, you know, he can be an impactful player, but yeah, at the center position is probably going to be pretty dire. Yeah, and, and like you look at who else they have who relying on right now, you know, uh, like Damian Jones, Alex Len, Bruno Fernando. Like, Len is an okay rebounder. You know, he, he gets position, he boxes out, he can he can grab the ball at times, but he also has some of the worst hands of any center in the NBA, so he's also dropping a lot of rebounds. You know, that, that hurts him there too. Um, you know, Jones to me just doesn't have the mobility, the agility the change of direction, like he just doesn't get off the floor very quickly. Um, and I think that prevents him from getting a lot of rebounds in his area, you know, where, where like the ball will kind of be coming right to him or at least he's in position to kind of, you know, move to the side and, and grab, you know, a long rebound or something. But because he's just not very agile, someone else will come in and just take it from him. Where Like he's the bigger guy. He's, <laughs> you know, ostensibly the more athletic player, but just right. it's a different kind of athleticism for him where it's like, the, the, the mobility and, and just the, the movement and changing directions on a dime just isn't there for him. And so that, I think, costs him some rebounds. And then Bruno right now, I think, is just kind of kind of lost at, at certain moments. I mean, he played well last night, and he's looked good. I've, I've actually been really encouraged on the whole by what we've seen from him. But, like, if you're relying on him to really anchor you on the, the defensive glass or on defense in general, he's, he's just not there yet because he's a rookie and he's still learning everything. So they just don't have a guy they can rely on at center, and that's, that's like, the... <laughs> Maybe the biggest, I mean, there are a lot of weaknesses for this team right now, and that's the biggest thing is, like, just not having, let, I mean, forget having 48 minutes of competent center play. I don't even know that this team has 20 minutes of competent center play on their on their roster right now, and, like, that's a really important defensive position. So I, I think in that sense it's no surprise that, what are they, rank 29th, 30th in, in defensive efficiency right now because they just don't have that guy who can who can kind of be your backbone around the rim and, you know, communicating from the back line and helping other guys out. He's just not on the roster right now. There's a lot to process there. So I want—I guess I want to go first to, to Damian Jones with the athleticism. It's, it's kind of baffling, though, because he does look athletic. Like He does. He's and agile he, on his finishes. And he gets up and finishes at the rim, yeah. But just even, even in the finishes that are like aren't dunks and aren't oops, just like he has agility. Like if he gets the ball in the paint near the rim, he shows you know that deliberate mm-hmm. agility of, okay, Here's my offensive move where I'm going to go and put the ball up off the right. glass. And he, he looks agile in those situations. Why, why can't that? There has to be some way so that that could thing. translate. So I think, I, think, I think you mentioned, I think he's a guy that has to really load up before he gets off the ground and really like kind of 
prepare, like his, give his body time to change direction and do all that. When you're asking him to do it on a dime, to to spring off the ground, you know, to change to to be running to his right, and then all of a sudden the rebound's going left, and you have to change. Like it's almost like when you're running on a hardwood floor in your socks, and you kind of have to like slow down a little bit to get your body to change direction. That's that's what it looks like to me, at least. That's what I do to my dog. Is we I chase each other we chase each other around the house, and I have the advantage of not having claws. So right, anytime I make a hard cut on the hardwood, it exactly. just lose the dog. So so Damian Jones is the dog in this in this analogy. Uh, it's just the, the change of direction is just not really there, and and you know you're right. He's an, he's an explosive finisher. He can get up and, and really put down dunks. But those are always in situations where it's pick, roll, get downhill. You can time your steps. You can kind of really get into the flow of it, and then go up and get the alley oop. When it's when it's just those those he doesn't have a, a very good second jump. I don't think um, he plays really right. high. His center of gravity is really high. I think you right. see that a lot on switches when he's mm-hmm. trying to contain. He I mean he fouls on switches about as much as anybody any big man um, in. Especially, I mean, certainly on the Hawks, maybe even in the entire NBA, just because he, he's so upright that he ends up kind of leaning into the ball handler as opposed to really getting down in a stance and sliding his feet. He you know has to put his hands on the ball handler to really contain him. Like there's there's just not that lateral agility because I think I think he's just kind of a an upright. I don't want to use the word stiff because that that's uh, that's a little more derogatory than I want to be. But like <laughs> it, it is just sort of this mechanical movement for him rather than. You know, I think to compare him to another former Golden State Warriors big man, like Jordan Bell is kind of the opposite. Where right. he's just a fluid athlete. He's he's going to make mistakes. You know, it's right. he's not always executing, um, but he can at least like kind of change change directions. You know, sort of change course on a dime. Whereas Jones, I think, just needs to have he, he, he kind of once he commits to doing one athletic move, that's kind of that's kind of it. So he needs to be Brook Lopez then. He needs to. I mean, this is something kind of Pierce alluded yeah. to today, which was. You know, our centers don't have to be the people getting the rebounds. Right. They just have to make sure that their guy doesn't get the rebound. And you know, you look at you know, you look at a player like Brook Lopez, who isn't necessarily the world's greatest rebounder in terms of getting rebounds, but you look at his impact on the floor and how his team rebounds when yeah. he's out there. And Robin Lopez too, for that. Robin, yeah. yeah. Robin Lopez Probably. too. I mean, you know, when they're on the floor, they. They box out and they make sure that their team gets the rebound, even if they don't necessarily don't. That should be his prescribed role. Then, mm-hmm. I mean, if you talk about an athlete who needs to load up, you can kind of load up on a box out yeah. more than you can on a timing play where you're trying to jump and pick the ball out of midair. Yeah, and I think that's just where the physicality element of it comes in. Like, you got to be willing to kind of go meet your guy, box him out, put a body on him. And I think sometimes the Hawks bigs just like you know, especially Fernando, you see this a lot too, where like ball goes up and they're like oh here comes the ball here comes the shot <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're getting kind of nudged from behind and they the rebound goes over their head and the other team gets it because they're not boxing out they're not making that first contact so that's i think in theory jones lynn fernando could all do that really well it's just a matter of actually going out and doing it i think maybe that's where we see some of lloyd pierce's frustration where like he, he feels like they could do this that these are issues that maybe could be corrected in theory it's just that you need the, the big guys to actually go out and do it and, um, you know, right now they, they just aren't. And it's just, I mean, it's kind of apples and oranges there in that Len, you know, has played five years coming into the mm-hmm. season. And, you know, Jones really, even though he's had multiple years, he really doesn't have that level of experience at the NBA he's level. played he, fewer games than Trey Young yeah. in his career over four years. <laughs> I mean, he just, I think, you know, some of it could come with experience, but, mm, gosh. The, the, the actual on-court product of, of trying to watch a rebound is a little bit frustrating. It is. It is. And I, I think, um, 
you know, it'd, it'd be one thing if, if DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish, you know, these these wings, Jabari Parker, were like elite positional rebounders where like they could help you make it up. But, you know, while I think Reddish and Hunter have promise as rebounders, they're right now they're just not really helping you keep that edge. They're rookie rebounders. They are, moment. yeah. And so, so Rob Mahoney had a really good piece on this on The Ringer about how, you know, Luka Doncic is able to, to give the Mavs a little bit more flexibility and positional versatility and, and you know, help their rebounding overall because he's so good for his position as a rebounder, as a wing. And I think, I think Hunter could fit into that role eventually. And I, I, that's, I'd like to see him do that. It's just that right now it, it doesn't always happen. And I think that's, that's one reason why, you know, Pierce can be a little reluctant at times to go with him at the four because the rebounding just it falls off even more. And when you're already the worst defensive rebounding team in the league, you can't really afford to play a lineup that's going to be even worse. And so, you know, there are sort of these, these, like I said, these theoretical changes that could happen where, like, you know, you can see kind of the outlines of, like, oh, yeah, if this guy could rebound better, like, maybe this guy could eventually get there, but but right now it's just not really there. Is Trey a good defensive rebounder? I think the numbers would say so, yeah. And, yeah. and he's, uh, you know, he's made, there might be a little bit of uh, Westbrookness to some of his rebounds <laughs> where it's it's other guys kind of doing the work and he comes in. But there is value to that, too. You know, you don't have to outlet the ball. You can Your point guard can just grab and go and... Especially a guy like Trey, you know, just push and transition. The Hawks are really dangerous in that in that setting. So, you know, he I think not all of his rebounds are contested rebounds, or he's not necessarily going in and sticking his nose in there. But I think if you can get a good defense rebounding from effort from your your point guard, that's that's great. It's just that you need, you know, that that's the assumption there is that that's going to be in addition to the rest of the team rebounding well. And right now, Trey's like the only guy rebounding well. So, right. you know, it's a uh, it's it's not so much a testament to Trey's rebounding as it is kind of just an indictment on the rest of the team. <laughs> I mean, there there are more long rebounds in the NBA there than are. ever before. Yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of what the right. teams are doing on offense. And you know, he's got the agility and the motor to, to go get some of them. I think he's been pretty good at it. Yeah, and I think that's why you're seeing it's not, it's not a, as much of a necessity anymore to have that dominant rebounding big man because there are these long rebounds. Teams are playing smaller and all that. So, like, you know, the big man is not always going to get those long rebounds because they're closer to the basket and it's just like like you said the way the game is played there's more opportunity for other guys to rebound so I think you're seeing more rebounding by committee in the NBA and obviously the guys at the top you know the, the Capellas the Drummonds um, the Carl Towns of, of the league are still posting elite numbers but like you know there's there's more opportunity for point guards and for wings to really go in and, and make an impact on the glass um, but the, I mean and, and Trey is okay at that he's, he's probably the best perimeter rebounder the Hawks have in some ways but uh, other than DeAndre and Bembry um, right. but it, it's uh, beyond that it's, it's just it's not a good situation alright let's, uh, let's switch gears if we win a couple of weeks where Trey Young got routinely blitzed on his pick yeah. and roll coverages the last couple of games have been a little bit different Toronto <laughs> Threw the box and went at him for a little while. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And then Minnesota last night, you know, more drop coverages. You know, he got the chance to get to his floater a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't expect that to necessarily sustain. It's not like the Hawks won either of those games, but they did have big leads (laughs) at some point in both of those games. And I think part of the reason that they had those leads was because Teams weren't getting the ball out of Trey's hands, mm-hmm. and I expect you know some of these future opponents to really go back to that blitzing. What can the Hawks do to fix that? I mean, at, at some point, that's just an overwhelming load for him to deal with. Yeah, 
Well, one thing they tried against Milwaukee, who Milwaukee actually plays, I would be surprised if they blitz Trey because they're just, like, Bud is never going to change loves, his scheme. He loves his drop coverage. He's going to drop Brook Lopez all the way back. And, right. and, that's, you, and you just look at the roster and the yeah. players that they've put on that roster. You look at, like, Ilyasova and Lopez yeah. and the other Lopez, and they just, right. they've just got a stack of players mm-hmm. to, to play those drop coverages. And it works, and they're really good at it. And, sure. And it was effective against the Hawks last week. Um, but... One thing they, they did against the Bucks a little bit and have, have kind of toyed with uh, before that and, and since then, but the Bucks is kind of the most prominent example for me, is using DeAndre Hunter as the screener. So that way, if, he get, if Trey gets blitzed, you have Hunter who can either kind of pop to space, you know, kind of slide down the three-point arc and, and create some separation for a three, or he can get downhill and roll to the basket, or he can roll to kind of the free-throw line area, three, top of the key, catch the ball, make a play in space. Evan Turner is a guy who can do that as well if they if they want to choose to involve him there. So I think more small, small pick-and-rolls could help just because that gives you a guy you can pass the ball to out of the pick-and-roll who can actually do something with the ball, and that's another issue with Atlanta centers right now is that none of them are particularly good passers. Bruno's an okay passer, I think. Um, he, he can kind of improvise and do some things with the ball in his hands, but you also run the risk there of just him getting overwhelmed and making a bad decision. So he's, he's kind of hit or miss with his passes. Jones is, you know, again, it's mechanical. It's like he, he against the Suns, I thought, in particular, and, and a little bit against the Blazers and Nuggets, uh, he showed the ability to catch at the free throw line and hit that opposite corner for a three. Uh, he did that a little bit. Len is just not really a factor as a passer. So, so really, like, none of these guys are Draymond Green, right, coming out of the short roll, being dynamic, making a play. So Al Horford. Right. I mean, yeah, even someone like <laughs> we that. We had him for like, a while. <laughs> there's just there's not very much dynamism and, and passing vision in the front court, so using Hunter there, I think could help. Jabari Parker maybe, uh, but he's you know he's kind of a get the ball and go downhill and look for his own shot kind of guy. So yeah, he's I've I've been secretly really impressed with Jabari as a passer, yeah. not necessarily in those short roll situations, but just just sort of the improvis- improvisational mm-hmm. stuff where he you know he gets a he gets a pass, he knows that based on where the defense is that somebody's open, and he just he finds that recipient even before he catches the ball, and it's just kind of a quick trigger. I got the ball, poof, it's gone, it's going where it's supposed to. Yeah, another thing they can do, I think, against these blitzes, well, really two things. One of them is have the big guy slip. But again, I think you run into issues there with just, you know, mobility problems with, with the centers. You know, Jones and Lynn in particular, you know, are not going to, they're, they're just not that quick enough to really slip to the basket and get Jones Jones isn't? I don't think so. I mean, really? I, don't, I don't see him I, as being a super effective, like, slip guy who, you know, he's, he's more of, like, set the screen, roll the basket. Again, it's kind of this me- mechanical, methodical sort of right. sort of dance. Well, John will slip it when he's Right, John, Collins can do it. Fernando can, can do it a little bit. Hunter, that's another thing he can do in, in that situation. Um, so if they can figure out which guys are – I think Jabari could do this too – which guys could be effective slipping the pick and roll, you know, and that, that way you have a four on three, and that kind of gets into what we were, I was talking about with the short roll passing. And then the other thing is, is shorting the pick and roll, which basically is when you hit the guy on the, hit the, op, the wing, you right. know, on, on the side if you're running a high pick and roll, throw it to, say, Kevin Herter or DeAndre Hunter as that, the trap is coming, and then that guy hits the roll man on the diagonal pass. Right. Um, that's one thing they can do. They haven't really gone to that as much. And I, it's hard when you've got two rookie wings. Right, and so that, and that kind of gets into another thing that we'll talk about eventually, which is just the lack of playmaking around Trey Young. And so even though conceptually you could do all these different things, you still need to have the personnel to execute it. And so you know, if, if you're passing the ball you know, to the wing to short the pick and roll, that guy still needs to be able to make that pass. And if you can't make that pass, then you're, 
you're back to square one and you're just giving the ball back to Trey to run another pick and roll and then get blitzed again. So I think maybe that's an area where Bembry could help. I think Herter's going to help a lot um, when he gets gets healthy again. And, and maybe the last thing they could do is just have other guys who can run pick and roll who aren't Trey Young. And that way when Trey <laughs> is in the pick and roll, you can't load up on him as easily. You know, and, and the defense is maybe a little off kilter and, and he's not attacking like a set defense that's ready to jump out and trap him. Um, but again, that just depends on having the personnel to do it, and right now they really don't. Yeah, one of these games in the streak, I think Pierce was quite disappointed that you know when when Trey gave up the ball, he wasn't getting it back. Yeah. One of the things he did early in the season that it seems like it's gone away a little bit, but he was he was just rejecting the screen. Mm-hmm. Is, have teams kind of caught up with that, or they just kind of scout that, or it doesn't seem like he's been able to pull that off as much recently. Yeah, you saw it a lot in, in the first game in Detroit. That was really where I mean they were just like coming up to send the second guy, and especially when the guy kind of kind of cheats to you know angle himself to get over the screen, he'll just cut it right back. He did it last night against Minnesota uh, against I think it was Travion Graham was guarding him for a three moving to his left. Uh, but you're right; those opportunities are fewer and farther between now because I think teams are ready for it. Uh, and, and some teams are bringing the big a little bit higher up, and so that makes him able to react and really get out onto the ball if he does reject the screen. Like, instead of the big having to step up and contest, he's already there, and so he can't really pull that shot uh, in the same way that he used to. And then the help is coming from the corner onto the roll man. Um, and, and Trey just, you know, he doesn't... The one weakness, I think, and limitation he has as a passer, he doesn't really have the size to kind of pass over a contesting big man or over a trap. It kind of has to be around it or through it, you know, there's little dump-off bounce passes, in, which he's really good at, but I think in, in some cases it would help just to kind of be able to go over the defense and that, um, you know, it, it, I don't think it limits him as much as it does for a lot of other smaller guys just because he's such a creative and ingenious passer. But, and he can use both arms. Right, and so there are, so you know, he can get around it, but I, I do think maybe once, twice a game you do see a situation where it's like, oh, if he were like 6'5 instead of 6'2, then like that'd be a, a, a different pass. Is it hard to is it is it hard to evaluate his progress in his second season just because of that defensive attention? Is it like I, I, I don't, a, a I'm trying bit, to yeah. phrase this question. It's, it's no, hard I know to what you mean. It, um, it's it's I think I think in some ways that is a in, that in itself is an evaluation of his progress because he's the, the kind of player that that you know scares defenses that much that they're throwing two guys at him on every pick and roll and they're selling out at all costs to take away his pull-up three and, you know, his, his pick-and-roll play. Like, I think that's that's a testament to just where he is as a, as a playmaker and as a passer and as a shooter. Uh, but it is it is tough because I think just in, in general, this gets into a larger issue with the Hawks that is frustrating for me as, as someone who whose job is to evaluate the team is, like, you can't really evaluate this team because they're missing their starting power forward and their starting two guard. Um, and Trey, I mean, Trey said it today, maybe they're second and third best players on the team. And, and so, like, no matter what the Hawks do during this stretch, win or lose, and, you know, it's mostly been losing, um, it, like, it's just not, it, maybe it's indicative of the team, but we'll never know. Like, we, we won't know if they would have lost these games with Kevin Herter and John Collins. We don't know if they would have won them. Like, we, we're not going to see this team in its, you know, sort of uh, ideal original form until John Collins comes back. And even then, you know, you never know. Someone else could have gotten injured by that point. So, like, it's been a little frustrating just because, like, you know, no matter what the team does now, it's like it almost just doesn't even mean anything. Like, you can't really get a real read on the team because of how banged up they are, how limited they are. Um, and, and that's, I think, 
I think Trey's kind of bearing the brunt of that on the court, where like he's the guy that that you know is is suffering the most from not having these other players because now he's the only guy basically, and so he's he's that's all kind of coming down onto him. And it's not only that he's the only guy; it's it's astounding, like the lack of continuity from last year's roster to this year's yeah. roster when you take into effect those those two absences for Collins and Herter. It's like he doesn't have any players that he played with last year. He has DeAndre Bembry. He had some events who I thought was playing really well until his absence, and I think he's really struggled since he came back. I agree. And and that's basically it because Len hasn't played that much. Collins has been hurt. Or I'm sorry, no. Collins has been gone most of the season, and Herter's been hurt. So, you know, other than that, that that's it. I mean, those are the only players that have come back and so it's I don't know it just seems like it's been a really big burden on him and it, it, it kind of you know just the circumstances just make make it very hard to evaluate where he is I mean it, it's obvious that he's gotten better but it's hard to figure out how much better yeah I, I totally agree and I, I think the same is true of this team you know I think this I think this team in many ways is is better than it was last year it's just it, we Maybe, but that's, but that's the thing is like we don't really know. Like it, it right. could be better. It's just like we we have we literally have no way of knowing because it has not like the 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 Hawks that I think they the Hawks planned on having coming into the season the starting lineup they planned on using. I don't think has played a game together. Right? <laughs> has, have they start? I don't think they've started a single game with Trey Herder Hunter Collins and whatever center you know, Jones, Lynn, whoever the center's going to be. But those four guys, right. I don't think those guys have played a single game together yet. Maybe one, Man. you know, right after Trey got back from the ankle injury. That would have been basically the only one. Or I guess right before. Right. Um, but but so there's just no sample to really go off of. And I think, um, you know, they, they could be bad. I think, I think they would be in a lot of these games that they've lost. I think they would have, I don't think they would have lost seven in a row if, if they had all these guys. And I think they'd, you know they'd be a lot, a lot closer in a lot of these games, and um, if they had those guys, it's it's just it's it's impossible to know for sure what this team is without actually seeing the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I somehow I think that this year's team is is better than last year's team just because DeAndre Hunter is here. They didn't yeah. have that kind of player last year, but at the same time, they had this wonderful symbiotic relationship. With John, I mean John Collins. Maybe maybe you get some of it back when you get John Collins back. But between Collins, Dwayne Dedman, and Alex Len, uh, it just seemed like any time they played two out of those three players, those two big men worked well in sync. Maybe not necessarily Dedman and Len, but yeah. Dedman with Collins and Collins with Len. It just it just worked. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. There's been so much talk about how you know someone like Trey misses John. I think actually maybe it, it, someone like Len might miss Collins even more just because, you know, when he plays with Collins, he gets to play to his strengths on offense, which is to just work as a shooter. Yeah. When Collins is gone, he's being asked to be a role man, which is bringing him right to the thing that he's worst at. I think, I think he misses John maybe even more than Trey does. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I mean, it's certainly easier to catch the ball when you're popping as opposed to rolling, and, and we know that that's <laughs> the thing that Len struggles with the most. Um, that and you know, some finishing around the basket, like you kind of alluded to. Um, yeah, it's it and, and it's it's it just makes the front court really thin. I mean, we we talked about this already, but like, I think I think you tweeted this maybe earlier in the year. Like, there there are certain moments in certain games where like 
it's just it's glaringly obvious like okay this is when they would play Collins at the five you know the, these right. are the Collins at center minutes and instead it's Jabari at center or you know you're playing Bruno a couple extra minutes or, or you know Damian Jones is is closing out the second half or the, the first half uh, instead of Collins you know and so like there are these alignments where you're like okay like clearly this won't be the actual lineup they play they just like are kind of forced into to doing this and, and Lloyd Pierce said last night like I asked him about playing Jabari at center down the stretch and you know why he did that instead of playing a traditional big and one of the things he said was like we, you know we had to match their 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 small lineup Minnesota's uh, and that we felt like that was the best way to do it so we could switch a little bit more on defense with Jabari and he said you know we don't have another small ball five on our team right now well they do he just got suspended for using peds i mean so he's on the team it's just that he's not available because he made a a dumb decision so like and 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 that gets into another thing which is that he picked the absolute worst time of the season for sure to do this because like the hawks i mean the hawks have had the toughest schedule in the nba so far they are kind of just getting out of the hardest portion of their schedule all year and so, you know, maybe even if they go on some kind of run when Collins and Herter get back and everyone's healthy and gelling, you know, I, I, I could see this team looking really good down the stretch. It's just they, they needed to do that, you know, in November. You know, this right. was kind of the month that they needed, you know, to, to go 500. And right. They just had to get tread water. Right. And, and they've just been completely unable to do that because, you know, of what we've talked about for the last 30 minutes. So um, it's it, it's the absolute worst time of the year to not have your second and third best players. And, you know, one of them is kind of beyond anyone's control. Like Kevin Herter did not choose to have Nikola Jokic slap down on his arm and dislocate or strain his, his rotator cuff. It's a little bit different story for Collins. And, like, that was controllable. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if there was just some, some kind of simmering frustration around the team, at, at not necessarily at Collins, but at the situation. Like, kind of right. a, like, really, man? Like, the, we needed you right now. Like, this is the time we needed you. And, and it... it you know, you're, you're not available. So, at least that's how I would feel. I, right. If I were on the team, I'd, I'd feel a little bit like, mm, like we, this is the stretch where we really needed you. And like, you know. At the same time, this team is, I mean, other than maybe somebody like Len, you know, there's so many either young guys or new faces that I don't know if they can even, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I wonder too, you mentioned Hunter. I wonder what he would look like as a fourth option instead of a second because I think he's looked really good, especially not the Minnesota game, but the four games, three or four games before that, he yeah. looked amazing. He was playing really, really good, you know, first team all rookie level of basketball. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, if he'd be able to do that a little bit more consistently, if you'd see the, his efficiency go up, if you'd see his, you know, I think he's benefited from having to be the number two guy just because he's getting more reps, he's getting the ball in his hands a little bit more. So maybe the development doesn't happen if he doesn't, you know, have to be thrust into this role. But right. I do wonder if he could take more catch-and-shoot threes, if he could you know, benefit from other people's playmaking instead of his own a little bit more often, if, if we'd see an even more effective version of DeAndre Hunter. And I think that would apply on both ends, because if he's doing less on offense, he can do more on defense, um, and then he can kind of pick his spots a little bit more on offense as opposed to being like every other possession, we got to go to DeAndre Hunter. <laughs> it's a tricky thing, right? Because you get, you get a certain amount of feel by touching the ball more. Right. But at the same time, if he had more space and he could be more selective about it, he could play more to his strengths because it's very clear that he has certain strengths at this point mm-hmm. and certain weaknesses at this point. Like, you watch him and it's like, okay, you know, don't even look at the numbers. You're going to figure out, okay, this guy can shoot. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what, what his percentage is at this point. And, again, 17 games in, 
uh, you know, a good game and a bad game changes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like DeAndre Bembry went from an 11.3, three-point <laughs> shooter to like a 35%. In two games. He was, was like one or two games he did that. So, you know, but, but with Hunter, it's like, yeah, he's going to be a good shooter. He's good driving to his right. Uh, 38% from three right now, <laughs> which mostly due to those four games that he had. I mean, he's going to be a good shooter. Yeah. He's just, he's got, it just looks right. Um, but he, you know, he, he's very good driving to his right. And so, you know, if he's a fourth option, you can kind of control that a little bit more. Yeah. You can only make the play when it's the play you want to make, whereas you can right. kind of get off the ball if you don't want to. And right now when he goes to his left, I, you know, it, whether it's the dribbling or the finishing, it, it just doesn't look right. Yeah. I mean, that, that just seems like something he has to work on. So, yeah, if, he, if he's a fourth option, he can kind of pick and choose a little more. I, I think, you know, the results would look better. Yeah, and, and you know, the the kind of flip side of his three-point shooting is that his effective field goal percentage is still under 50, which, you know, means that he's really struggling from two-point range, 43.5%. So, like, that's that's a product of missed layups, you know, kind of, being forced into uncomfortable situations around the basket, and he's he's got that sort of like sort of hook floater off the yes. glass, moving to his right. He's pretty good at that. Although Carl Towns smacked it off the glass once last night, which was uh, which was actually pretty awesome. But uh, <laughs> moving to the left, he doesn't have the same move, doesn't have the same touch, and you know that's that's an instance where it's like you know the second option on your team should be able to do that. But then you also look at like okay, well he's a rookie. You know most rookies do not have. You know, he's, it's almost like he, you almost get a little spoiled because you see him make these really mature plays and you see him look really good for a rookie, and then you remember, like, okay, well, he, he is still a rookie and he's still got to learn these things, and he's and he's probably overstretched in the role that he's in. And so, right. you know, we probably wouldn't be nitpicking DeAndre Hunter's left-hand finishing, you know, if he were the fourth option, like you said, and, and he would be able to use his right hand a little more often and control... The team would be able to control what kinds of situations he has the ball in a little bit more, and now it's just... It's just sort of like left wing, middle pick and roll. He you know he comes off that sort of rub screen on the Iverson cut, <laughs> coming to the left wing, catches it, reverse pivot. Here comes the big man. Let's go. I mean that's I mean I would say fifty to sixty percent of his touches come off of that exact action, and so that just makes it easier for opponents to load up on it, easier to game plan for it. You kind of know what he's going to do, uh, and he's an okay passer. You know he can drive and kick. He can hit the roll man on a pocket pass from time to time. He threw a lob last night. Out of the pick and roll, which was one of I think one of the first lobs he's thrown Probably. out of the pick and roll all season. I, that was encouraging, but um, he he has strides still to make. Obviously, I mean he's what, 22 <laughs> years old um, and and in his first NBA season, so he's he's gonna get better. It's just that you know right now it, the expectations for him are really high because the Hawks have they only have one guy who is a, a better op- offensive option at this point. I don't expect him to win like Rookie of the Year award, so let, let me preface what I'm going to say here very carefully just because the things that he does well aren't necessarily the most exciting things yeah but you know when you look at who's healthy this season and who's playing is is it possible that or maybe I should say it a different way if you were to sort of rank the rookie seasons of all the rookies how high can he finish uh, well, I picked him to make first-team all-rookie at the start of the year, and I might have even picked him third in rookie of the year voting. That might have been optimistic, but um, you know, I think especially that Zion's out. Like he, I think I don't think he's a rookie of the year candidate. Like you said, I'm, he is he's probably a tier below that. But um, 
if you look at like impact, I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find five rookies who have a greater impact on winning. And that you know, sounds weird to say because the Hawks are the worst team in the league right now and have not won many games. But so his on-off splits for exactly. a rookie are absurd, right? And so if you could have him on the floor for all forty-eight minutes, they probably would they would have won more games than they have so far. I mean, he's he's been really productive, and, and the team's just been really good when he's out there. So it's you factor in defense, which is hard to measure, you know. So that that makes it tough, especially for rookies because they don't have a, a defensive reputation yet. You're kind of just going off of what you see, and you can't watch every rookie. You can't watch you know all 82 games of every rookie. So um, that makes it a little bit harder to gauge rookie. That's why I think rookie of the year, all rookie stuff, kind of tends to skew toward offense because you don't really have you're not able to factor defense in the same way you are for like all NBA teams um, or whatever. But like I, I think. It'd be surprising if there were five rookies that had a, a greater winning impact by the end of the season than, than Hunter. And I, I also think he's going to get better. You know, it's, it's, yeah, oh, for sure. Like even from now, <laughs> even from now to the end of the season, like over the next 30, 40, 50 games, like I think he's going to make even even greater strides. And so by the end of the year, I could easily see him being like a, you know, a, a low end starting level wing, which. If you're at that level by the end of your first season, that's he's already past that low end starting I'm, level I'm on he's, like a good team. Like if you're, like would he would he start on a playoff team? Like I, I if I think yeah, he, I think he you think would. right now. Let me unless you were super he'd start, deep he'd start on, on the on wing. Port, he'd start on Portland, but they're not a playoff team either. Um, I don't know. I, I see him at this point. I think if if he's on a if you're making the playoffs and he's on your team, he's probably like your sixth or seventh man. He's still he's still helpful. He still helps you, but like. Right now, he's probably a slightly sub-starting level player on a good team, but I could see him getting to like you put him on like the Bucks. Doesn't he start? I mean, right now because Middleton's out, but I think on a healthy Bucks team, he probably comes off the bench. Okay. Same with Toronto. Same with uh, Philly. I mean, obviously Philly. He might, but (laughs) they need this. The way Philly's going, yeah, they they might try anything (laughs) to to shake things up. It's funny you mentioned. uh... You mentioned Cat swatting his shot last night. I, he had my attention when when Cat got him on a switch in the low post, and it's yeah. like, okay, you, what, what can he do one on one guarding Cat? And Cat could Cat couldn't move him. He's, Cat he's ended up with move. a fall away, and he missed it. Yeah, and that's that's where you, you kind of see the promise of of Hunter. And he's the other thing too is he's looked really good on the perimeter too. You know, he can keep up. There he had a play on with Wiggins last night where he kind of you know. Slid his feet, stayed with Wiggins on a drive. I think Wiggins ended up posting him and scoring on a, you know, a tough hook out of the post. And Hunter played good defense. You know, he kind of showed the speed and the the strength on, on that one play. And so I, you've kind of seen the full arsenal. And, and one of the things they've that that Pierce and and Hunter and other players have talked about is trying to get him a little more not engaged but just more active on defense because he's always been kind of a solid be in the right places you know don't make any mistakes right. kind of defender and I think the Phoenix game in particular we really saw where you know when he wants to he can get in the passing lanes he can you know dig in and break up post entries he can crash down and strip guys as they're going up you know get in the the driving lanes and the passing lanes disrupt shots things like that he he has that capability I think it's it's more he's more wired just to sort of not take many risks be in the right places and just force the other team to take a tough shot and that's that's what he's really good at right now, and I think eventually, you know, maybe he could end up combining the two things. And, and when when you have someone who can do that, that's a pretty special defender. Um, and then we'll see where he, you know, how far he rises offensively. But uh, to me, at least, he he has shown far more upside through the first, you know, 15, 17 games of the season 
than, than I ever imagined he'd have, you know, at least that he'd show as a rookie. Yeah, it's funny. He, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the way he plays defense and kind of he plays sort of to contest a shot and not to make a mistake as opposed to, you know, try to make a defensive play. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if that'll come over time or if, if that's something that's advantageous just because of the way that the game is officiated. It's just really hard to play defense in the NBA it in, is. in 2019 yeah. and, you know, not get a whistle or... I wonder if maybe that just over the long term, you know, he makes that kind of a shift just because, just, just you know, just over the course of the season, you've seen you know him try to contest shots, and it's just so hard to contest a shot without either making contact mm-hmm. or and ending up accidentally with your feet underneath somebody yeah. who jumped a little bit towards you. And that's what he really wants to do is just contest a shot. He's so good at that, but it's it's a tricky thing. He said it. You know, I asked him about it, and he said that you know he's he's struggled with trying to figure out how to how to do that without fouling. Yeah, it is it is tough, especially because in college it's just officiated so much differently, and, <laughs> and he you know he was obviously much more dominant in college. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those kind of rookie learning curve things where you have to not only figure out how does the game work, you know, how how good the other players are, how quickly it moves, how physical it is, but you often you also have to learn new techniques, you know adapt to the way the game is called in, in just the different style of the game side so that that the officiating is probably an underrated adjustment that rookies have to make even for rookies themselves you know I think that's something that not a lot of, a lot of guys expect coming into the league is like oh I actually have to change the way I play because the game is officiated differently that's interesting yeah and it's still kind of staggering this the the level of competition that he's played to because they they do not protect him <laughs> No, <laughs> it's like yeah. Here's a superstar. You're guarding him yeah. tonight. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, uh, you know it. In some ways, it, it is kind of a testament to him. You know, like it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's like kind of like yeah. Sorry, here you go. But it it also is kind of a sign of trust. Like hey, you know, we think you're this this type of guy. Like they'll they'll sort of re, you know, kind of rework the matchup sometimes and have him guard someone who isn't guarding him, just because he's the better defender. And I think when you're when you're intentionally sort of forcing those matchups. To get your, you know, to get one guy defending another team's best guy, like that's that's a, I think an endorsement of his defensive ability. And he's a rookie. Yeah, <laughs> it's been encouraging. Okay, yeah. Now to, to flip it back to the negative side, uh, maybe finish with, and of course we've hit on it so many times because you can't really talk about rebounding without it. You can't really talk about you know some of the other things we've talked about without it. But like, if we made you head coach, Ben. Uh, what are you going to do with the center position? Oh, God, I. Where you know how do you how do you piece together? Let's say Collins plays. Yeah. Twelve minutes a night at center. That's so what you I would need, do. You That's need exactly thirty-six. Where are you going to get the other thirty-six and how? Oh, God, I might even just go twelve, twelve, twelve with the three guys. I mean, that's <laughs> there's just no good solution. And I don't think you can play Jabari Parker at center. I just think you're going to get killed. That's something they're doing because John's not here, right? right? I mean, that's, that's, that's where you that's see easy. it. That's easy. Yeah. So I think Collins is Collins is probably their best center right now and their best power forward. Sure. Um, so I, I do think you want to get him, you know, 12, 15 minutes. Um, I mean, Jabari's a better power forward than any center that isn't Collins is a center. So yeah. you're, you're going to see a lot of lineups where, okay, it's, you know, here's the the clutch situation of the game, they're going to put Collins at center, Parker, yeah. power forward, just because 
You know, you're just going for a raw talent. I wonder if they might even start Collins at center when he comes back. You know, I mean, it's that's hard to do because then you're keeping three centers on your bench, which like that's kind of just a waste of resources. But if I mean that that's their best lineup. Like their best lineup does not involve Len, Fernando, or Jones. It's Collins and Parker, I think, or Collins and Hunter. You know, with Herder and and Embry on the wing or something. You know, it's it's like it's a it's a smaller look with Collins at center and like. So I, I wonder if they just go straight for it and they say, hey, we're like these. This is our best group. This we we struggled to start games before. Like we just want to put our best five guys out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Maybe your best four guys plus Cam Reddish out there to start games, and and you know go with that. But I, I don't know. I I would I I. It's not necessarily my personal preference, but I kind of think they won't just because. You know, most teams aren't starting games small. So if you're going to use a big, yeah. uh, if you're going to use a big, you know, use them at the beginning right. of the game because that's when you're typically going to see other teams. That's the one guaranteed time you're yeah. going to see another team start a big. And just at the same time, also, you know, Collins is in his third season, and he hasn't really looked like somebody who's going to play 82 games. Yeah. I mean, he kind of looks like somebody who's going to play 67 games. Just right. And that's not even a knock on him, honestly. It's he's definitely not playing eighty two this season. He's not playing eighty two this season. But just as a function of the way he plays, you know, he's coming he's landing from such high distances, he's going up against people that are bigger or stronger than him. I think there's just a wear and tear factor where yeah. you don't want to play him at the five just to kind of save him up a little bit. I agree with that. And I also think he hasn't really shown the ability to I mean, for more than five games at the at basically the beginning of this year, hasn't really shown the ability to be an effective small ball center you know his rookie year a little bit but like last year the Hawks were really bad on defense when he played center and like it it was a little bit of a struggle so I mean even that even the idea of Collins at center like that's not guaranteed to necessarily be your best lineup Um, I just I just think given the state of the center rotation it would be an interesting interesting thing to try I don't think they will start that look I think they'll probably keep going with Jones Uh, what I would I would I might even start Bruno like I just I think Bruno is I thought at the beginning of the season he was the best center on the roster. I don't think that anymore. I think he's a little over his head as a rookie. <coughs> um, but I I don't think the margin between the other two centers and Bruno is big enough that, you know, you have to have Alex Lynn out there. You've just got to have Damian Jones in the starting lineup. Like, if, if you feel like Bruno could be an important part of your future, it's same thing with Reddish, what they're doing now. Like, go ahead and start him. And I know def- uh, center is a more important defensive position than small forward you know, shooting guard, whatever they're starting right shot, whatever you want to call him, six nine and playing on the wing. Um, but so I know I know center's more important defensively, so you can't necessarily get away with a lot of the same stuff starting a rookie there. But like I, you know, I think Bruno's shown enough where it's like okay, if you put enough talent around him and and kind of give him the reps, maybe eventually by the end of the season he could be your best center. And maybe they try to get out ahead of that and just say, we're going to give him the opportunity now to kind of get in with that group. Because I don't think Len, I don't think Jones are a piece of this team long-term, at least not a a meaningful piece. Bruno, he might not be either, but I think he has the best chance of those three to do it. So I I think if if it were me, I'd probably, you know, start Collins again, bring Parker off the bench, slide Bruno into the starting lineup with Herter, uh, Trey and, and Hunter, and you know, bring Reddish off the bench. I would, I would play Reddish less if I were the coach, uh, but I do get why you have to play him. You know, he's, oh, for sure, he's uh, another guy who's going to be a really important part of your future. Um, so that that 
all makes sense to me. But and that's that's where the Hawks are in their trajectory, right? Like they're the Hawks are if they if the Hawks really wanted to to win as many games as possible, you know, they would play different guys than oh, they sure. do. But that's not the goal right now. You no. want to develop guys. So I th- I think um, anyway, that's that's a, a different conversation to have. But I, I would start Bruno. I think if you're asking me if I were head coach and I have a full healthy Hawks roster, I think I'd probably go Trey Herder. Hunter, Collins, and Bruno, and then, you know, you're playing Collins 12 minutes, 15 minutes at the five, and I, I might even just go matchups with with Jones and Lynn because I think they're different enough players that, you know, if you want to, if you want to play more of a stretch look against, if you want to pull another team's rim protector away from the basket, say you're playing Utah, you want to get Gobert away from the paint, you can play Lynn, have him shoot, shoot threes. If you're playing, you know, a, a a team like the Wolves, you know, you can play Jones because they got a lot of really good looks out of the lob, you know, the two-man game between him and Trey. So maybe you could do that. Lynn might, might, might not be as effective in that role. So I would just go matchups for the last, whatever, tw- 20 minutes for that center, that backup center spot. But there aren't really any good answers. I, I think the answer is just sign a better center. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. I, yeah, I think I, I kind of agree. I don't think I would start Bruno. I think I would make him the backup center and, and honestly he would have the more most predictable role out of any of the three but I think I would go with Len just for the rebounding yeah, I think I think that just the, the overall team rebounding just works a lot better and I think if you do that you get the transition opportunities for Trey that help him get in a rhythm I think you know and then again I would probably use Jones you know again like Collins I don't think Len is necessarily an 82 game kind of player yeah, um, I think you kind of want to save him up, and you know I would use Jones as kind of a spot starter depending on the matchup. But you know I would think I would give Bruno the fixed role, but I want him, I want to make it easy on him, and I think he would have an easier time going up against backup centers. I think there'd be a certain level of success there where he could kind of get his feet wet and, and get some positive momentum. But at the same time, I, I can't. As good as he is as a role man, it's just really hard to. to to watch the defense and the yeah. the rebounding with, with Jones out there. Yeah, and with Len, the Hawks, are they rebound almost 4% more of the opponent's misses when he's out there than with him off, which is, to your point, a, a, helps you show up your rebound. They're still not very good on right. the defensive glass, but they're at least better. And I think, you know, I think that will work. I think Jones... I think Jones Collins won't be as good as Len Collins can be. I think I think Len's going to be a better complementary player around John than yeah, Jones would be. I agree, just because so, the shooting element. Yeah, one I think one other reason I think that favors Bruno. Like if I one other point I would make to, to start Bruno is I think his skill set, like his passing, his his shooting. He's shown a little bit of shooting. He's still not like he's not a great shooter, but he's shown a little bit of touch. You know, and just like kind of the the improvisational plays he can make, I guess. He does that a little bit better than the other two, and I think that's the kind of skill set that is amplified by having the best players on the team around him, if that makes sense. So, like, that that kind of skill set is more effective when you can pass the ball to Trey Young and Kevin Herter and, and you know, those types of guys and, and play off of better players. Uh, and certainly, Len and Jones need to be playing off of better players, too, because they're not going to create their own shot or anything. But I, I think, I, I don't know, I feel like Fernando might, he has kind of this connective ability on offense where he can kind of keep possessions moving, make some, some passes and he's a good screener. I think he's a, the best screener of the three um, and so I think those skills maybe lend themselves to playing with better players more so than the skill sets of 
the other two guys do, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I articulated that well or not. <laughs> I, I think it's hard to articulate because I think it's kind of oxymoronic in that you watch Bruno play and just kind of his instincts on some broken plays, and it's like yeah. he just has a feel for basketball. Exactly. I just don't think he has a feel for the 2019 Hawks yet or a yeah. feel for the NBA yet. I just think he's played a lot of basketball, and he has a nose for kind of what should happen, but he's he's it, he's just kind of rigid in his thinking of the playbook at this point, yeah. where it's like, okay, I'm supposed to make this role, well, then all of a sudden it happened and he's not there. Mm-hmm. It just seems like he's a little bit behind the play when he's trying to do things that the Hawks are supposed to do, but I, I just think he has a, a basketball intuition that probably surpasses what the other, other centers are doing. I agree with that completely, yeah. All right, uh, plug where you want to plug, Ben. Uh, SI. I'm not paying you for this. <laughs> I'm not paying you for this either. Uh, SI.com/nba/hawks is is where you can find basically everything I write. Um, usually one or two things every day where you can catch up. I try to be insightful and go into depth on things, um, so you can you can read to your heart's content over there. I do some stuff for for fan side of the step back, more of a national. Focus. I just had something come out on the Mavericks and Luca and KP and what's going on over there. Um, Read and React NBA podcast with a friend of mine, John Sauber. We kind of talk about the whole league, um, go in depth, much like we did today. But for uh, for I won't say all thirty teams because we, we don't talk about all thirty teams. If I'm totally honest, but <laughs> nobody wants to hear about Charlotte. Right. Yeah, we don't talk about Charlotte. Don't. We actually don't even talk about the Hawks because I talk about the Hawks so much in other places. So right. really, if you want like twenty five of the other thirty teams, you can go there. Read and React uh, is it's on any major podcast platform, uh, and then on Twitter at bladner underscore. Uh, my header is the Four Beatles, and my profile picture is just me. Like a regular headshot. Without a beard, though. So I'm without the beard, yeah. So uh, that's if people have seen me lately in person, they might be a little confused. But other than that, I'm, I'm not too hard to find on, on that website. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too.